0: Hi, Jim here. Thanks for listening to this past episode of the Ski Podcast. Since releasing this podcast, we have a new supporter of the show. The Ski Podcast is now supported by Switzerland Tourism. They will be helping us explore some of the 355 ski destinations across the country, from famous names of Samaritz, Lax, Davos and Zermatt, to the lesser known resorts that cover their mountainous land. We will be reporting on them and telling interesting stories about the people who live and work there. In total, there are 7,067 kilometres of slopes to ski and 1,800 lifts to ride, and at least 80 of them are funiculars, which is good because I do love a good funicular. Well, there's a lot to do, so while we get on with that, you can get on with listening to this episode of the Ski Podcast. Thanks, listener, and thanks, Switzerland Tourism. How do you do? This is the ski podcast in association with Chill Factory, the Northwest Premier Ski and Snow Centre. Did you know, Ian, um, it's an interesting fact about them, it's the longest indoor ski slope in the UK, 180 metres.
1: You know what? Actually, that is one of the uh, um, indoor ski slope stats that, that I did know. And at one point, I think when it first opened, it was the longest in the world. But
0: anyway, let's crack on. Um, I'm Jim Duncombe and I'm joined by Ian Martin. Hello, Ian. Hi there. How are you? Wonderful. Thank you. Coming up on today's show, we chat to the CEO of BSS, which is the British in Ski and Snowboarding, um, Vicky Gosling, OBE. Lots of, um, lots of uh, words there. Ian has been to the launch of uh, the where to ski and snowboard man um, book um i go glacier skiing in chavinia and we'll be finding out how to get your kids into ski racing with phil brown he hasn't got a title unfortunately sir phil brown we'll call him uh, mm-hmm. you can contact the show on twitter at the ski podcast find us on facebook or head to the ski pass, co- ski pass ski, the ski pass the ski podcast.com so professional ian Do you remember back in episode 16 where we talked about skiing alternatives to try over the summer?
1: I regularly listen to all of our old episodes (laughs) because they're all available to to listen to and there's some really great content on there. And Funnily enough, I was listening to that one the other day, so yes, I do remember it.
0: Um, I want to say that um, I have done quite a lot of average surfing since then. I'm probably going in about twice a week at the moment, keeping uh, keeping my core fitness up. Yeah, starting to do a bit of hot dog in. I'm really pleased with myself. Obviously, when I was away, I did it. Yeah, thanks. Um, Also, do you remember in um, episode 16, we talked about staying fit all year long with uh, my mate Sam? Uh, Yes, I do. I haven't done any of that. I've done done none of that.
1: Right. Well, if it makes you you feel really bad, uh, I'm flying out to the Alps uh, later on today. To run a seventy-mile ultra through the mountains. Ooh, what sort of elevations do you go through on that? Uh, there's three and a half thousand meters of vertical in total. I think the highest points are about two thousand meters. Three,
0: three and a half. So that's the equivalent of running up to almost the top of the Grand Mot in teen.
1: Uh, and down again. And yeah. down again. I mean, that's big. Over 110 kilometers. And also, so I'm keeping up my my uh, outer season ski fitness. That's
0: very good. I'm just doing it through uh, casual surfing. Um, Also, in a previous episode, and that you can obviously listen back to, we talked um, about Ski the World. The book. Yes. And we joked at the end of the show about, you know, maybe doing it.
1: Oh, yes, skiing the world. Yeah, I haven't got a spare year at the moment,
0: but go on. But, however, um, the resorts of Whistler Blackcomb, Fernie, um, all owned by... Uh, one company are offering people the chance at the moment to apply for a job to do that and you get paid around seven and a half
1: thousand pounds to do it so you don't just ski in those resorts you ski or do you ski in those resorts every day per year is that how it works
0: Uh, it's the epic pass uh, which you can buy and there's 65 destinations Right. Okay. Um, you only have to cover 18 on the road trip, apparently, um, but they're billing it as an opportunity to ski the world. I think that's probably a bit dubious. But you could go to Courchevel, you could go to um, Japan, um, Switzerland. Obviously, you know, you can squeeze in a lot of different okay. places.
1: Well, I didn't. I didn't get to interview him, but I did speak to Arnie Wilson uh, last week, and I told him that we'd reviewed his book uh, on the podcast, and. Um, He, you know, and I said what an amazing achievement it was. Uh, Now, obviously, I think Epic Pass is run by Vale Resorts, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Massive different uh, resorts. Maybe someone else will end up uh, matching that achievement, in which case he was a bit right His Epitaph would be, that bloke who skied every day for a year.
0: Right. He doesn't want that to be his epitaph.
1: No, I think he's looking for something broader than that. Um, Quite like skiing? Yeah, quite like skiing. That
0: would work too. Um, I've also noticed this summer, and that it seems to be that a lot, of them, a lot
1: of the Alps has been on fire. I don't know if you've noticed. You wouldn't have thought the Alps would be on fire with all the, the snow around and everything. But um, there have been a few, haven't there?
0: Yep, um, back in September, was it? Uh, in, we're in September now. Um, the one in Chamonix was on fire, wasn't it? The Long-Gone? long gone. Long gone long gan? Yeah, the, yeah, the Long-Gone. It is the Long-Gone cable car
1: now. Yeah, easy to say the cable car up from Grand Monte. Or yeah. up from Montier to Grand Monte.
0: So that was a big fire. Impressive videos I saw of that. But, um, they claim it's going to be open again.
1: Well, I mean, that's that's amazing. I mean, the timing for that. And then also, um, was it one in Garmisch? That's what it says on my show notes.
0: Yeah, um, Garmisch, Pintark and Mark... <laughs> I'm not even going to try. I don't know why yeah, I can't pronounce just say, that. One.
1: Just say Garmish and Garmish. The...
0: That's why I wrote just Garmish. Uh, it was the Zugspitze cable car. It was damaged during a training exercise. They were practicing um, getting people off it um, in an emergency situation, and really? um, it's uh, one of the cables fell and it, it literally. It looks to me like it plunged and swung into the side of the into the side of the mountain and got oh all smashed up.
1: I did not know that was on a training exercise. What I did notice uh, for the uh, the fire in Chamonix, was I was just searching around on uh, Google for, you know, some more information about it. And there were you know, there's a whole bunch of uh, stories uh, out there. But the Daily Mail, you know, who we read on a regular basis. One, as far as like uh, uh, titles of the page is concerned, because the telegraph ran fire destroys cable car in Chamonix just months before it's due to open, which is pretty dramatic, right? Uh, Chaminette had fire in chamonix les Monte, which is a bit more vague, could have been a hotel. And the Daily Mail had cable cars collapse into French mountainside as fire engulfs ski lift. Which I'm I think be... sounds a lot more dramatic. And if I was, you know, clicking, that's that's what you call clickbait.
0: Yeah, I mean, if um, the Daily Mail wasn't in the prefix to the, the rest of the story, I would definitely have clicked on that story. <laughs> yeah and also in teen in july and the sash gondola was on fire as well which was a bit odd but um it seems that it didn't damage it quite near as much as the the chamonix fire recently um i fell down a bit of a um, google rabbit hole in the process of looking at these stories and started looking at just massive incidents that happened um uh, for cable cars, and obviously, you know, um, you've got those ones where the aeroplane jet fighters flew under, mm. uh, I think that was the Aguil Midi, wasn't it? Uh, no, it was the um, it was the Valley Blanche tramway uh, to Cornwall um, back in 1961, which happened again um, in Italy, I think it was again, but it was American fighter fights that flew under a gondola, um, which was quite dangerous. But the one I liked, and it's, it's sad because obviously someone died, but... After all that time of telling my children, looking at the stickers on the window, saying, do not lean on the window, because it might fall out. No. There was in 2008. Someone did lean on a gondola window, and the window did fall out, and so did he.
1: Gosh. Okay.
0: Yeah. Uh, sadly, that was in Chamonix again.
1: Is that not just one of those stories that someone made up to scare children?
0: Um, no, I think, that one, that, I think it was a story, and then it happened, and everyone was like, oh, we shouldn't joke about these things. All right. Okay, well, let's not joke about it. And finally, this is a nice link here, Ian. Oh, yeah. Um, On Christmas Eve, um, there was, not a few years ago, I think it was 2009. Um, in Chavinia, there was also a, a cable car incident. No one died in this one, but there was just high winds and the lift, the chairlift broke down and it took seven hours to the point that some people actually rescued on Christmas Day, bearing in mind that it was trapped there and they got mm. trapped on the
1: cable car on Christmas Eve. Mm. And, uh, and that, that sounds pretty bad, but I can see what you've done there with the link. Thanks. I can see what you've done there because you're going to tell us more about Chavinia.
0: Yeah, let's go over to that report now. I've just stepped out of the apartment onto the high street in Chavinia, it's a beautiful high street, um, lovely buildings, um, interesting shops, it's stone paved, Um, to the left I've got a beautiful view, it's sunny skies today, of um, the Matterhorn, Um, as I turn around further there are some stunning glaciers coming down in the valley off the ridge, there's a ski area that is very green in front of me, in between the houses, and in the far distance and i can make out the top of the glacier where i'm heading there are three lifts to catch and um, to get up there keen-eared listeners will notice that there are no sounds of ski boots clip clopping along the pavement that is because it takes around 45 minutes to get up there and pretty much no one wears their ski boots up they get them on in a kind of frenzied way in the top cable car, and that's the way I'm going to do it too. So while I'm in the lift going up, I've got a few Chavinia stats for you. Um, the Monte Rosa Glacier borders Italy and Switzerland. Uh, the peak elevation is 3,899 metres, um, and that is obviously the equivalent to 3,899 children's one metre skis. Um, there is up to 21 kilometres apiece and a freestyle park. Obviously, the, the kilometres apiece depends on how good and how hot the summer has been. So there's a huge amount of there. Um, you can ski 365 days. You can get lifts up from Cheminia in Italy or Zermatt in Switzerland. The nearest airport is Milan at 2 hours and 5 minutes. Uh, Geneva's not much further at just under 3 hours. Um, interestingly, uh, lift pylons that um, go up on the cable... Um, the drag lifts that have to be realigned every two weeks due to the glacier movement up there Uh, in the summer a lift pass will cost you 32 euros per day Um, and if you're there in the visiting in the winter a whole chevinia pass will cost you 43 euros i've probably got off the glacier lift by now and i'm probably on a t-bar let's find out going up on the t-bar you look around can see one giant glacier. It's a brutal bit of scenery, even when the sun's out, but right in front of you is one of the loveliest, funnest, fastest slopes you can do in the summer. It's wide, it's nicely looked after. Everyone here is really good at skiing. It's a pleasure to watch everyone. It's really good fun to ski down. Uh, even in flat light which is often the case because the clouds just zoom in and zoom out again you never know what you're going to get i'm going to do my last run down now and i did i mean essentially i did the same run all the time for the four days i was there because there wasn't that many runs open but that's not the point is it it's about skiing in august and what a joy that is uh, it's worth noting that, you know, it's a short period, of window that you get to ski in. You need to be up there. The optimum time for skiing is about half past nine or so half past eleven when the snow is not frozen and just softening up, but not slush. And you've got to about one o'clock to enjoy being up there. The lift's open all day if you want to enjoy being up there um, for walking and things like that. Um, I reflected on it down in the town. As I sit here, people are walking past. There's hikers, snowboarders, skiers, and even an old lady struggling with a bag who I should probably help. But I thought I'd just quickly sit and reflect on my four-day skiing on the glacier, because that's what we're talking about on this podcast. The first day was tough. We got up there. It was really cloudy. Um, I transported a lot up there, my family. And it was hard work uh, as a family to get up there, especially as I couldn't really see very much. Day two was sunny skies, beautiful conditions. The snow was cold and hard um, and lasted until one o'clock. And I skied with Dave from snow pro Ski School, um, and he taught me a huge amount of things. And it's really what I think glacier skiing is about. Up there is lots of people training, there's lots of people working on their skills and techniques. Uh, and that's what I did. And that's what I really got. I got a lot out of that day. Uh, the second day the sun was out again, um, all of the family went up. Um, my wife went off and did um, some good skiing um, because I had selfishly gone up um, the day before on my own. Um, we skied with the children, they had a lovely time, it was hard work but we kept it to a small amount of time because we knew the challenge of it. And then the last day once again we all went up as a family um, during the lunch break and I got some time skiing. Sadly the snow wasn't as good, um, it's, it rained up there overnight, so uh, it was a lot slushier, which was a challenge in itself um, for children uh, and for me, but it was still um, a good day on the mountain in the middle of August. What more could you want? Right, this is Jim Duncan in Chavinia. checking out, and I'll see you back in the studio. Mm-hmm. Now, Ian, I started that report with quite a nice link, and I'm going to finish it with a nice link. Are you ready? Yes. The well, the Where to Ski and Snowboard Guide describes Schiavinia as this. If there is a better resort than Schiavinia for those who like easy cruising in spring sunshine, we have yet to find it. And there's more easy cruising on the gentlest of Zermatt slopes just over the Swiss border. And for the rest of us, well, to be frank, the rest of us are better off skiing somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Now, now why?
1: Why did I bring that up, Ian? Uh, I think you brought it up uh, because I went to the launch of um, Where to Ski and Snowboard uh, for this year uh, last week, uh, it was. But two um, issues with what you said there. Firstly, um, this is no longer Where to Ski and Snowboard. And um, You know, there was that period, I think it was probably in the kind of 90s, mid-90s or something, where all the magazines changed from being, you know, the, the Daily Mail ski magazine to being the Daily Mail ski and snowboard magazine. And the ski show became the ski and snowboard show. And Where to Ski became Where to Ski and Snowboard. And um, apparently the tide has turned because uh, this winter the, it is called Where to Ski.
0: Whoa. Is that because we suddenly hate snowboarders again, or is it because everyone just accepts the fact ski is a generic term for a ski and snowboard holiday?
1: I think it's probably uh, the latter because I don't know anyone hates snowboarders apart from a very small minority. Um, and, you know, with the success of people like Billy Morgan and Jenny Jones, I think we all love snowboarding, don't we? Anyway, the point is, it's where to ski these days. And secondly, you might <laughs> be able to read about Chavinia in it because uh, this year they're only producing one book and it's called Where to Ski in France.
0: So it is a book, though?
1: It is a book. Yeah. They, I think there was a, maybe a year where they uh, skipped it. But this year it's Where to Ski in France and uh, it's not quite ready yet, but it should be available uh, you know, certainly before the season, and I think it's in the next uh month or so.
0: And where do they recommend? Is there what they do? They do they say this is our favorite resort? They well, they don't say they this is
1: our favorite to? resort, but um, the, the two key sponsors this year were La Plan and Courcheval, so they got good mentions. And in the, in the actual um, the kind of draft copy of the book <laughs> that they were uh, uh, handing out to people. Vast quantities of it were actually blank, but they did have uh, content in there for for Cheval and La Plane. So uh, I'd say those two are, are favoured.
0: Okay. I mean, that's in the same way that we favour indoor skiing in the <laughs> Chill Factory um, in the northwest of England.
1: That's certainly where I'd go if I was in the northwest of England.
0: Totally. Good. I promise i would get you a middle mention in. I did, ladies. There we go um i remember the where the yeah. ski the where not to ski where to ski and snowboard um book um it was a massive tome wasn't it and i remember my first day in ski sales someone literally handed it to me and went read this
1: <laughs> yeah uh, the uh the plot isn't very good but the places
0: the plot is absolutely terrible yeah you're right It's set in some stunning stunning locations um have you got anything else to say about the um event
1: Uh, Not particularly. That one really is a a kind of bit of a social event. And then the following day, there's an event called Ski Launch uh, 2018, which is uh, another sort of networking opportunity for people to get together. We had Charlie Owen was there talking to people. He was on our um, our last episode, episode 20, if you want to catch up with him talking about Brexit, uh, because he represents uh, seasonal businesses in travel. Uh, I did a short presentation about, um, you know, digital marketing. And uh, also uh, at that event was Vicky Gosling, uh, who is the, uh, as you pointed out, OBE uh, and also CEO at BSS, which is British Ski and Snowboard. So, you know, it's broadly speaking her job to try and uh, help us uh, or help that team continue the the progression they've made over the last few years. And um, I did a short interview uh, with her, which will play just now. CEO of British uh, Ski and Snowboard. Very interesting presentation you just gave uh, there. Brought up a, a number of points. I wonder if we, I could just ask you uh, about a couple of them. One thing I found fascinating was uh, you're looking at developing a female ski jumping programme. Can you tell us any more about
2: that? Yeah. So um, you know we are really aware that ski jumping has got some great viewer numbers, um, and we're doing everything that we can to raise the profile of British Ski and Snowboard what it actually does. We currently have an athlete with some great potential he's, um, he's in a different country at the moment right. and we're looking to effectively you know, bring her in, create a programme just like we've done with the moguls, just like we've done with cross border um, and uh, because ski jumping for females is not actually um, extremely mature compared to the male programme okay. we thought we'd start with females and actually show right. what our female right, um, how, 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 do.
1: how do you go about identifying the type of athletes who would have talent or ability for ski jumping would you pick them from other sports or
2: yeah so i mean i think what we would do clearly we've already got one that we know is talented not the others out there who hopefully will follow but what we'll do is you've seen with other um talent transfer situations we will look at what it takes in terms of physiology uh to to get the best opportunity to bring the talent across and I think that will be a process that will be looked at very closely by Dan, our performance director uh, working closely with UK Sport and having a look at what best physiology will suit this type of skill and this type of um, discipline
1: and so what sport, I think in your presentation you did mention diving you thought could be a crossover
2: for me, I'd be thinking maybe gymnastics diving Um, Dan's talked about uh, long jumping, pole vaulting, high jumping, you know, we just, yeah. just really probably finding someone A with the, um, you know, it probably takes quite a lot of, um, uh, I was going to say corpus, but um, Guts
1: yeah, Shall we say
2: Yeah It takes a lot of yeah, guts on, To, to do something right. like that So um, yeah, 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 yeah. It, You know We need to get The right type of mentality okay. Along yes, with the yes, right yes, skills
1: no, 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 no. So, so if you no. can stand On the top of a 10 metre board And yeah. throw yourself off that
2: You're pretty gutsy right
1: Then that's a step On the way To uh, going off Like a 100 metre uh, ramp And throwing yourself Through the air
2: Absolutely And yeah. I guess It's also Just having the agility To know And that, you do think,
1: and that, that idea Of developing someone On the ski jumping uh, side of things I mean obviously Eddie the Eagle uh, Eddie Edwards is one of Britain's most famous uh, Olympians you know do you think part of that is a story there that there's reach that it can, or are you really looking at the performance um, level side So we're things?
2: looking more on the professional performance side yeah. you know, very much on uh, you know we we know that we have extremely talented athletes in in britain yeah. and we want to exploit that talent and demonstrate and showcase what we actually have so yeah. in this the reason that you know we have go down this is because it's proving to be an extremely popular discipline anyway on the international stage yeah. so we don't want to we need to keep up with our our counterparts um, you know our international counterparts we've already demonstrated you know we we can punch well above our weight right now and we need sure to and, the, the,
1: and and the goal uh, is to get to fifth on the medal table by... 2030. By 2030. Yeah,
2: top yeah. five nation by 2030.
1: Uh, how many medals do would you think that equates to? I
2: think it d- depends on whether it's bronze, or gold. It does. That's, it. How, that's
1: how yeah. it works. And it? across
2: the different yeah. disciplines, so that breakout's got a bit more science to it, so yeah. it's more scientific than that. I mean, literally, if Dan Hunt, the performance director, sat next to me, I think he knows it off by heart, but yeah. uh, you know, I, I haven't got that with me but I do so it's a breakdown depending on which medals and which disciplines.
1: And something else you mentioned in your presentation. Was that um, you know Team GB have been approached by athletes from um, maybe other countries with the idea of, of you know representing Team GB? I mean, we've seen that in lots of other different yeah. sports, but the reputation in Team GB is is leading to that situation.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, I very much said as well before that success breeds success. So what's happening is we are creating successful programs. We saw it in the Junior World Championships recently. And that was with a new cross-border programme. We've got the same with Mogul, where we're having our own British athletes, you know, parents, both British, coming forward and saying, you know, I'd actually like to represent my own country. I've always wanted to. I just have not had the opportunity because you, Great Britain, have not had the programme. Yeah. You know, Dan Hunt's come in and he's created these programmes with world-class coaches. And now, reputationally, we are being noticed by our own. Yeah. In fact, you know, our own um, our own British athletes who are currently you know, performing for other countries have noticed us on the mountain and yeah. they've come forward and said actually And, so, and,
1: so, and you mentioned a world class athlete can yeah. you reveal who that world class athlete I think is? That
2: will, that will hopefully come to fruition in terms of who exactly that is hopefully in the near future
1: great, well that, that sounds uh, uh, definitely very exciting and so Dan Hunt, he came from a cycling Sky yeah, uh, background, inside, is British that right? and he's the, performance director. Yeah, he's the performance director so can we expect to see some of those, yeah, I know that Sky were very focused on those marginal gains, can we expect to see more of that being brought into the, the ski and snowboard the alpine side of things?
2: Yeah, absolutely not just the alpine side of things yeah. You know, in all of the disciplines actually right. potential to use marginal gains and we've got incredible innovation team that are headed up you know it's headed up by a really experienced academic who is adding brilliant value and just looking at um, you know using his his sort of skill, core skill set, but his network at helping us really target some of the marginal gains that are quick wins. So we will absolutely be doing that, and we are absolutely doing that. We intend to see some of that by the next Olympics.
1: Great. Right. Well, we uh, covered, uh, we did a daily podcast uh, during the Olympics, and I, I loved it. I loved uh, kind of actually forcing myself to follow what was going on every single day, not just on the British team, but uh, but everyone else. And so I've become much more familiar with the. Team. And, and the juniors with Ollie Davis and Kirsty Muir and others who clearly have a lot of potential there. So um, obviously I wish I wish you, I wish Team GB and, uh, and us as a uh, Britain uh, all the best and hopefully we'll see some of those things uh, eventuate. Thank you very much. And thank you.
0: So the main thing you talked about in that um, that interview Ian was um, finding a female yes. ski jumper. Now is this going to be the same process as um, they go through for the skeleton um, team? I don't know do what process think?
1: they go through. For that. And are they actually looking for an Adina Edwards? Adina? Well, I kind of <laughs> thought about asking that that question around there, but no. What they're looking for is someone who's going to be good, and I think there's a you know there's a lot of potential, and you know they're able to you know pull in a, a lot of the. Uh, the skills and the strategies that have been used across um, Team GB and the, the Olympic uh, path in lots of other different sports, as far as talent spotting is concerned.
0: So they they are actually thinking that what they want to do is approach
1: existing athletes and bring them into the fold
0: of this. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Exactly. So, the, for example, they talk about the people doing the high diving. You know, if, you, if you've got the, the balls, as uh, Vicky was too polite to say, to, uh, to stand on top of a 10-metre board and throw yourself off uh, and, you know, use your core strength and uh, balance, etc., then, you know, that could be transferable to, to going off a ski jump. They're you know, basically looking at, you know, all the different opportunities. What I thought was most interesting is one of the reasons they targeted that sport is because they had identified... That it has really high viewing figures, and you know they're they're definitely interested in uh, the, the kind of the, the reach um, that they can get there.
0: No, I don't think Beth Twiddle's going to be applying for that um, particular no. one. Um, it's interesting you say that they're in, they're interested in reach because for me, surely the point of the the BSS is to support people. In sports that they want and are good at, as opposed to identifying a sport that they want to find people
1: for good at. <laughs> I think it's it's a complex uh, kind of a brief, but you know one of the things they're looking to do is to in, you know get more medals, and I think they've they've looked at uh, that and they've decided there's possibility there as well.
0: Who I can maybe Jessica in a She could apply.
1: Yeah, I think she's she's. Uh, she doesn't need to, uh, to to go across to that. She'd be maybe a bit light as well, wouldn't she?
0: Possibly. I'd like to see Mo Faller in the biathlon.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah, OK. No, I can what, see that.
0: What about Seb Coe in the kerning? Uh,
1: he could do that as well, I'm sure. Very talented uh, uh, athlete.
0: And Daley Thompson in the downhill. I'd love that. <laughs>
1: I think you know, it's a shame <laughs> to jump isn't on TV anymore because maybe that's where they should be. Uh, I've just pitched them. the
0: next series of the jump. Spencer, essentially, that's what I've done. Spencer,
1: Spencer Matthews, you know. Okay, he's not a woman, but he could he could do uh, um, ski jumping.
0: So in that interview, she mentioned that she had someone, or she had someone in mind. Yeah, there yeah. Was no, they, up. They,
1: they've got someone.
0: Yeah. Who do you think it is again? <laughs> I,
1: I can't. I, I don't know. I'm not sure they revealed that. I was more interested in who this foreign athlete is. Uh, You know, overseas athlete who wants to join Team GB but she wouldn't um, reveal anything as far as that's concerned there was a rumour a couple of years ago I don't know know Fanny Smith who's a a skier cross, she's Swiss but um, she has either like a British parent or something and there was some discussion as to whether she might join the uh, the British team and she's a consistent podium person but uh, I was told it's not her so there you go
0: (laughs) Well, I know there's a certain Jamaican sprinter that um, likes to join other sports and other teams, so maybe it could be him.
1: Yeah, Yeah. probably not. It's always great if you can uh, give us a a review. Um, I haven't noticed any new reviews on uh, iTunes. They're always good. helps people find us. But I did see a review on the uh, excellent uh, ski forum, snowheads.com, if you've ever looked at that. Um, everyone uses their own a- a- a kind of avatar name there. So, Stir, I don't know who Stir is, but he or she says, I like this series. And I think that's a, really, you can't have higher uh, uh, praise than that. It did then go on to mention um the, we had a couple of uh, recording issues with my interview with a person from the ski show a while ago but if you've listened to uh, episode 19 you'll know that that's now been resolved and uh, i mentioned that to stir but thanks for your review Stir. keep listening
0: so I think it's probably important to point out now Ian, is that you know we're not professional podcasters quite yet you know we're still in uh, finding our feet league so i do apologize if there are a few technical issues we are doing our best
1: we're doing our best and essentially we're doing it for fun uh, uh, yeah you know we're, we're going into year two as well did you know that happy
0: anniversary Ian
1: yeah happy anniversary it's gone gone quickly isn't it what's the first year paper isn't it uh, yeah can't remember I'll send you an number oh, I'll send you a card thanks
0: Right, now oh, we're going over to a nice little place in Italy to chat to a guy called Phil Brown, and he's going to tell us about how you can get your kids into ski racing. So I'm here in the Aosta Valley. It's um, very hot. I think it's 30 degrees later. I'm here with Phil Brown from Impulse Racing um, and BIS as well. That's right. And he's going to talk to us about um, what he does out here in Aosta. Um, first of all, tell us a bit about um, BIS, which stands for?
3: British Independent Schools Ski awesome. Racing. Um, It's a business set up off the back of an Alpine Race Academy. We used to work with kids at a national elite type level. Um, We found that those kids, there were a limited number of those kids and a number of different organisations all trying to fish from the same pool as it were to run their businesses and we decided that it made sense to try and feed that pool and um, so we started working with a couple of schools and that then as a business grew legs and we became involved with more and more schools and we did less and less of the sort of upper end um, and that's where the business is today we're working with a number of, of schools uh, for UK events, training them in the UK and bringing them out to the arts for events
0: So this is schools um, that have a ski club within them
3: Yes, and we're also approaching schools to try and build ski clubs um, within them. It is, to be fair, um, more of the independent school sector. We do work with a few state schools. It's driven sometimes by a parent who has a kid that skis and the team gets built around them. Sometimes driven by uh, a teacher with an interest in skiing. Uh, there, there's a whole sort of plethora of different setups with school teams. There might be three kids. There's other schools. That, one school, for example, have a, a school club with ninety kids. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty big. But they they employ their own coach. And, yeah, so it's a completely sort of. Um, Inbuilt out within the school.
0: Would they? Be, would they? They're obviously based in the UK. Would yep. they? They spend time doing dry slope chain, um, training near them, and then they'd come out and work with you guys. They they
3: work on their own. They are
0: independent. Um, we have worked with them a couple of times when they've
3: needed um, expertise outside of what their coaches can do or outside of what their coaches are qualified for. Uh, in the main schools, schools come to us, and we offer we do the organising and the coaching and everything else.
0: Um, So I've got children. We talk about this a lot on the podcast. They're going to get older. Um, What what would I do if I wanted to set up a ski um, uh, a ski club for my school?
3: I would, in the first instance, talk to the head of sports or maybe the the school head, depending on the size of the school, and and just sound them out to see whether there was an interest. And it may be if the interest is is very low on their side, it may be that you would maybe drive it, talking to other parents and um, you'd be involved in organising it. I find that what happens, if a school are initially not particularly interested, once the club or squad or whatever start doing things, at, at least at races in the UK, maybe indoor races, um, the school starts to take note, especially if it gives a little bit of kudos to the school. Mm-hmm. Say, for instance, the kids are doing quite well, um, the school like that so the school then maybe will become involved. But you might find you have a teacher at the school, and it may not be a sports teacher, it may be a geography or maths teacher, who has an affinity for skiing, and is keen to get involved and be that person on the school side to help you.
0: Um, How many children does it count to be a club?
3: You could have as little as four or five.
0: Four, sorry, as long as I've got four people in the team. I've got two children. For, for,
3: For a team to do a race, you could have three. Okay. So, and you could register as a club with three kids.
0: Okay, that makes sense. And it could be,
3: it could be a school club or, or just a school that registers through an organisation like the National School Snow Sports Association.
0: Okay, so I've got children. Um, what age can I start them getting involved? I would get them skiing and
3: get them to do as much mileage as you can. I wouldn't look to get them involved in racing, they, they can dabble. Um, but until they get to maybe eight years old, which would, which would bring them into the lowest age category at the under tens, I wouldn't want to be too serious about it. I'd, it's all about building their fundamental skills, and that means getting to ski all over the mountain, mm-hmm. try not to get them to try the racing. And then, making eight years old, they can do a little bit more, but still keep them skiing and doing other sports. Really important. We have. Um, and I see it quite a lot. A number of kids in the UK whose parents decide that their child at seven, six or seven years old is a good skier and they funnel them down that route to the detriment, of potentially of other sports and therefore to the detriment of their own physical sporting development. So keep, keep a wide breadth of, of what they do and let them try the racing and then at sort of eight years old is a good time that they can get involved and come along and do some races.
0: And yeah. overall, what sort of encouragement do you feel children need? outside of that racing. Is it about showing them that skiing is fun and it's not just about time circuits?
3: It's about them enjoying it and never underestimate the social side if you've got a group of kids that have fun together skiing that's more important to them sometimes than, than the competitive side they do the competitive side because that's how they're involved but it's about meeting their friends etc
0: now um, my wife sat next to us listening to this podcast and she's one of these pushy mums how can, <laughs> how can you tell if your child is going to be a really good racer how can you, how, is there a way to tell or is it about letting them just enjoy it Or do you need to get away from it and just stand back and go, let's just have some fun? I
3: think the latter. um, Let the kids enjoy it. If they have an affinity for it, if they have a a desire to do more, let them, support them. um, But be very careful of treading over that line where. And I've seen it where a child is being offered, you know, I may be out of date with this, a PlayStation. If they beat a certain other child and that kind of thing, well, they get like a
0: Haribo. One Haribo beats at the end of a run. That's perfect. <laughs> That's fine. That's ideal. Um,
3: yeah, be very careful about sort of stepping over that line where they feel pressured. Um, children will feel pressure from their parents, regardless. But if you're much more easygoing, that will reduce what they feel. I mean, we have had a tragedy. Story recently about a young girl um, Ellie Souter, mm-hmm. um, who obviously felt pressure within the sport at a much higher level. So the less, as a parent, you can put on your child, the better. Um, I find parents who stand back and work work well with the coaches who are involved when they want, to, when they need to be. Um, the kids have a more. Um, Not necessarily, I won't say successful, but more enjoyable experience. And it's very difficult if they do go down the route to higher competitive levels. It's a tough life. So the more they can enjoy it early on, the better, and the less they're likely to burn out.
0: And what about you? When you identify someone and you go, they've got potential, what what route do they go through?
3: There's various routes they can take. They can take a route where they are... um, involved in a club environment and away four or five weeks a year at competition, they can step into an academy um, where they're away a lot more I I'm not a fan of and there are a number of organisations that do this, sending the kids as they get a little bit older to the southern hemisphere to train in the summer and where they're down there for five or six weeks, they come back they're on a glacier in between seasons as well, you know um, I think there was an interview done a while back with Hershey, and he's of the opinion that it's just not necessary to be on ski that much. And if they get up to that, those level, those higher levels, there are other things necessary. The physical fitness can be worked on through the summer. They can do a little on a glacier. Um, great example, Dave Riding. Dave Riding doesn't go to the Southern Hemisphere usually. He trains a little on the Glacier, and he trains in Wittenberg in um, Germany, on an indoor slope, on probably marginal gains, on small things. And he'll, day in day out, he's a, he's a grafter, um, which has got him where he is today. Um, so those kind of things, but yes, yeah, so getting involved with the club, and working with a club programme, um, but not, again, until they're up into the mid-teens, not to the detriment of other sports. The kids are good at skiing. They're probably gonna be reasonable at other sports. Let them enjoy those other sports. So that they don't then, and I've seen it happen with kids getting to 15, 16 years old. and You know, they've had enough of skiing. And for me, the tragedy would be for the child, a child or a youngster to look away from the sporting mm-hmm. and, um when they've got that talent. If we can keep them involved and when they finish their competitive career they can be a coach, they can get involved, a bit of teaching, or something like that. And or just go and enjoy skiing.
0: Cool. Phil, thank you very much. For no problem us, at all. Um, and uh, good luck for the winter. Thank you very much. Ian. Any plans to push your kids into ski racing? Because you strike me as the man who could be a pushy parent but is too embarrassed too embarrassed to become one.
1: Uh uh. No, ski racing, I, you know, I tried to organise um, our kids' school to put in a team for the, the school championships at Hemel Hempstead a couple of years ago, and it was such bloody hard work getting them to agree about, you know, their transport and their health and safety and this and that, and they were so pathetic about it that uh, that wasn't uh, possible. Um, and my kids don't really go skiing enough. Uh, to to go racing, maybe if we live somewhere uh, nearer they could do it
0: Yeah, that's the sort of same problem with me, like um, in Ex- uh, where I live, it's an hour and a half to Exeter, which is a very very
1: short slope, it's 60 metres yeah. um, But you know, we and... know that people like um, Dave Riding, you know, learn on on short slopes uh, like that, so if it's possible
0: Oh, everything's possible I mean, I'm not prepared to do it, I don't think they'll enjoy it that much. No I mean, I tried to tell them it was called the Penguin Club and they were
1: slightly excited. <laughs> right. <laughs> but that was as far as we got. So who knows? And very, it's to them, you, isn't it? I, I don't want to push yeah, them. Yeah. I mean, if they when we're out in the Alps, they can do the ski club races and all that kind of stuff. And, and you know, what they really like to do, my kids, so is just to ski as fast as they can on a ski cross course.
0: Ah, well, that's a good thing to
1: get into. Yeah. I think that's the future, yeah, isn't it? Absolutely.
0: Because they've seen it on TV. It's the one that's most fun. It's got big for you in numbers, isn't it? That's what you've got to think. <laughs> right, yeah. what, what, what sport should I get into? Yeah. What are the viewing figures? Yeah. No one watches lawn bowls. That's why no one plays yeah. it. I'd just quickly like to point out that if you want to find out more, then you can head over to Phil's website, which is impulse Racing dot and follow the links all the way to the ski school racing section also head over to their facebook page um, where you can find a link to the school's snow sports magazine 2018 which is out now for you to read digitally or if you're lucky enough you can pick up a hard copy um, so ian i've got an email from you so i've got a question for you from me but I think it's from you too, But It doesn't matter. Ski Festival Fever.
1: Does it exist and what is it? Oh Well, I was really asking you to see what you thought, but I think... But I'm ski... going to say... Can I say yeah? no? Right, OK. I think you might be right as well, because there's never been... A, well, there might have been a ski festival. There was Bordex a few years back and... Um, freeze. Freeze. I got excited about Freeze. And, and Freeze. Freeze was actually... That huge jump uh, down by Batty Power Station was, you know, pretty impressive and it was something new, but... Right now, this autumn, the only ski festival around is also in Battersea, but in Battersea Park. And it's it's really the ski show, isn't it? Same as other years, but just called the festival this year.
0: It's just called the ski festival. It used to be called the ski and snowboard festival. No,
1: it's still called the ski and snowboard festival. Oh, right. <laughs> it's not just called um, the ski festival. That really is kind of cutting everything out. Yeah.
0: I mean, I think it's not a festival, is it?
1: I do quite get into the
0: festival, no. There's no camping. I mean, to me, you've got to be out of camp.
1: Well, maybe... May, I haven't read the small print um, closely. Maybe there is camping.
0: Well, it is Battersea Park. I could camp in Battersea Park. Maybe illegally. No one needs to know. Yeah. And then it'd feel a bit more like a festival. Yeah. Um, I drink some warm lager. That's possible. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, what else do you do at a festival? I could carry around... A long time um, for a...
1: the toilets?
0: Yeah, I can no, I don't think you do that anymore. No? Uh just nip in the hedge. I could just go for a wee behind um uh, the Norway stand and no one will notice.
1: Yeah, it's not really is the is the conclusion and um But there is a band, we talked about yeah. that last week. Yes. So that makes it a bit more festivally. Yeah. I mean I'm not saying it won't I mean... it won't be a, a great fun. My kids are gonna come up on the uh, Friday. And I've been showing them all the different things that are going on. But the, the fact is that it, it's not really a festival, and that, you know, it's it's essentially very similar to what it's been in in other years.
0: Oh yeah, I don't think it it changes, and I don't think fundamentally it can change because of the way it's funded. I mean, it's part funded by ticket sales, but a huge amount is reliant on the big tour operators like Crystal spending lots of money there. Um, the big resort. So, effectively, it's a trade show. I mean, they have tried to introduce elements of it, but at the end of the day, people, if they're going to pay to go, their best option, they feel, is to stand there on a stand with lots of brochures and lanyards and pens to give away.
1: Uh, Yeah, yeah. I think it's probably, there's more value in it for destinations who really have to perhaps work a a little harder to try and get people to, to think about it. But I mean, what used to drive the show was the retailers. So Snow and Rock and Ellis Brigham used to have massive stands, and that effectively funded uh, the show. Uh, and you know they were the ones who, you know, back in the day, drove the show to run it over two weekends. So it used to be a ten-day show, not not that long ago. Um, you know, a ten-day show set so ran over two weekends, which suited the retailers best. Um, but you know, as people have moved to shopping online, that's why. Um, it went down to just one weekend and then if I remember correctly I think Snow and Rock have a tiny stand in the last few years and Ellis Brigham have a a bit of a stand but um, you know without those two you know supporting it it just got smaller and smaller
0: and it used to be a time when you'd turn up and you know loads of people would have really exclusive ski show deals for their holidays
1: or for the apparel or kit they were selling but that doesn't happen anymore either really yeah, I think some people still still have them. I mean as a, if you're a new business as a data if you have the right kind of offer as a data collecting exercise um you know it can be pretty effective. You know, post GDPR you have all the boxes to tick and things like that, but um, you know you need to build up a, a list somehow and get away in it somehow. and it just, it's somehow you know, it's it's right for certain businesses and, and not right for others. However, for for the you know for the average person who's interested in in skiing you know I think you can get value out of it and actually I haven't told you about this yet what I think we should do and what I'd really like to do and I didn't do it last year is we'll get in the show really early and we'll get one of the maps and we'll mark on the maps where you can get different freebies so whether you can get you know sweets or pens or chocolates or uh, you know lanyards or or stickers or whatever stickers maybe not such a good freebie and then we can we can put that map online and people can get their maximum value out of going to the show by whizzing around and collecting all these freebies and do you they know, possibly could survive on on you know free schnapps or uh Genopay and swiss chocolate and uh, a bit of robber shop
0: i like that uh, we're gonna yeah we'll, should we accompany it with a um a spreadsheet that breaks down to the point where you're breaking even on what you spent on your pass. <laughs> yeah,
1: perfect. <laughs>
0: so each pen is worth uh, one pound. Yeah. A sticker is 50p. And if you've got all that stuff, you paid off your lift pass, yeah. which is fine. Yeah. And then um, we can also do um, a calorie intake, uh, a free calorie
1: intake. Yeah, and then, oh, yeah, I don't want to make it too complicated, but there's a lot of competitions. If you went around the show and entered every single competition, surely you'd win a ski holiday.
0: That is, I mean, that's a challenge that we could possibly do. How, can what's the statistical chance of winning a ski holiday? Um, I, I like some of the prizes.
1: 20,000 people going to show, I can't actually remember now. Over four days, I have to check. Well,
0: I think my my record of getting email addresses, um, is us in the, the worst possible way of putting it. I'll mm-hmm. rephrase that. Um, my record of getting people to enter a competition that I was running, <laughs> um was around about 900 um, subscribers. Yeah. And I worked really hard to get that. Yeah. So yeah, you're, you're, your odds are high, aren't they? Because that was me trying really hard to get that number of people to enter it.
1: Yeah, but hold on. Your chance there are only one in 900 in your competition.
0: But I'm saying other people don't work as hard to
1: get you to enter their competition. they didn't. Were you wearing your uh, rabbit uh, costume again? Uh, no, that was at home. All right.
0: So the other thing we need to talk about, in is um, our new sponsor. Yes. So we um, we have been wonderfully supported by the lovely people at um, the Chill Factory. Not Chill Factor, as I, I thought it was called for a long time, because um, of their crazy E. But it's the Chill Factory. Uh, it's in Manchester. It's the North West's destination to go to for skiing and snowboarding. Um, what can you tell us about it, Ian?
1: Uh, well, I know because you told me earlier, but I did come across it. It's the longest indoor slope uh, in the UK, uh, and I know that um, recently Billy Morgan has become a, an ambassador for them because they have uh, a terrain challenges feature, which I think they run at the weekends with lots of uh, uh, freestyle uh, there. But I believe we're going to be finding more about it because I think part of what we're going to do is try and let our listeners get a, a kind of insert a bit of inside information a bit of a feel for you know what it's like are there and some of the people who work there
0: absolutely um hopefully i will be going up shortly to bring insight but i mean what else does it mean for the ski podcast i mean obviously with all this money that they give us <laughs> we can go on we can go on endless ski trips yeah, to bring yeah. you i mean i've got a ferrari on order <laughs> i've given up my day job and maybe we
1: should get an editor in wouldn't that be i think we need right you? Yeah, it's not going to mean all of that, but at least it means that we can cover the costs of, uh, you know, the website uh, hosting and the domains and uh, where we host the actual physical podcasts themselves and all of that sort of you and I being out of pocket and doing it for the love of it. I mean, I still do it for the love of it, but, uh, you know, uh, without us, without it costing us anything.
0: I don't know what I would do Ian, if I didn't have like, a fortnightly chat with you about skiing. I bore my wife
1: senseless. I we guess. could we could still have a fortnightly chat. We just wouldn't record it.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. I don't
1: think that'll happen. Ian. Unlikely, but thanks, to,
0: <laughs> thanks. To, <laughs> we don't like thanks, each other that much. Thanks
1: to chill factor, we can keep talking to each other. Chill factory. Brilliant I've said stuff. it myself. Now you put that in my mind.
0: I know. Sorry, I do not know why I said it. Yeah. Chill Factory. Yeah. It's in Manchester. Right, well, that is the end of the show. That's all we've got to talk about. Um, coming up in the next show, I think I will be um, learning how to put my ski boots on properly. And what will you be doing, Ian?
1: Uh, two weeks' time. I don't know. I'll have to work it out. I'll well, have been to Switzerland and back. Maybe I'll uh, tell you what uh, the weather's like in the Jura Mountains. I might be running through the ski resorts. I'll have to check
0: exciting stuff well thanks so much for listening don't forget um, we are um, available on twitter at the ski podcast find us on facebook you can email ian at the ski dot com or jim at the ski dot com um, head to our website and if you're in the northeast northwest of england you could pop to the chill factory for a ski and let us know what you think about it You have been listening to the Ski Podcast. I was Jim Duncan. my co-host was Ian Martin. I've uh, edited it all together. And it's pleasure to say that we are sponsored by the Chill Factory in Manchester, the North West's premier indoor ski and snowboard destination. If you're in that area, I highly recommend going for a slide. The music was by FreeFX and Passion Hi-Fi.